Day Dons fans, and welcome to the round 18 edition of Don the Stat. The Dons are back on the winners list after a scintillating performance against Adelaide. Our win-loss record goes to 9-7. and seven. We sit fifth on the ladder with a trip to Cadinia Park to take on the Cats ahead of us this Saturday night. I'm Jonathan Walsh, and with my regular co-host Ian Hume in the sick bay to chat through it all, I'm joined by former resident and Western Bulldogs football analyst and my little brother, Andrew Walsh. Andrew, how's things up on the sunny Gold Coast? Good evening. Things are well. Big week in footy up here, obviously. Yeah, new coach for the Suns this week and for the remainder of the season. But no, things are well. Kids are back playing footy this weekend, so it'd be nice. How uh, how much coverage did that get up there? Does, does people take notice or is it sort of, yeah, touched on and, and people move on pretty quickly? No, no. Pretty big news on the, you know, first couple of stories in the news each night. So, yeah, not like Melbourne, but, um, yeah, reasonably big. Well, I guess for the growth of football in the state, that's uh, uh, not that it's good news for Stuart Jew, but it's certainly good news for the, the growth of the game that it's um, it's getting that level of coverage. Well, uh, thanks for jumping in at, at short notice. We'll we'll start by casting our mind back to last Sunday and, and the game against the Crows. Uh, when Humi and I did our preview last week, there are a few key areas that we discussed um, and we wanted to make sure that we got right. The first one was for us to win the contest and, and win it around the ground. It's in one contested possession by 16. A lot of that was in the first half. We were at uh, plus 12 uh, at, up to half time. So, you know, it really was a dominant first half performance in that regard. But I think it was more than just the contested ball win. It was our willingness of pretty much all of our players to pressure and smother and chase and and really put Adelaide under you know real pressure and take their game away from them. I think there was some yeah good highlights of that put out by the club this week too. They, they've put out some really good social media content. But yeah, the the one percent of stat which measures you know all all things like spoils, knock ons, smothers, and shepherds. Essendon had sixty one for the game to the Crows 50. We averaged 45.8 across the season. And it's only the GWS game this season where we've had more. So, you know, both contested ball and, and that, you know, pressure and intensity in the contest were, you know, pretty much at season highs for us. You watched it on the tally with the boys. How did you see it? Yeah, absolutely. It was impressive, wasn't it? Um, it was high scoring, but, yeah, obviously we got we got the job done around the ball, which is where it starts. Um, and it was an even spread too. It wasn't just left up to one or two. It was an even spread across the board. Um, I think obviously such a high scoring half, but I think um, our ball use inside 50 is pretty good too. Um, so yeah, from from a point of view, watching it on TV is pretty exciting because it's so high scoring. Um, but I think, you know, to then they come back at us and then to be able to then, you know, put the foot down a little bit and, cracking and win that win our own ball and you know the the highlight from mine was really it was Hobbs and Caldwell, the younger guys, you know, we know what we're gonna get from Parrish and Merritt, but you know, Archie Perkins attending more center bounces, which is brilliant to see. Um I think we gonna see more and more from him as the season goes on with the fact of him playing more midfield time. So that's obviously what he was drafted as. Yeah, just on that spread, it, it, it's something that I picked up and I really like too. Uh, you're right. You, we know what we're going to get from Darcy Parrish in the contested ball this year. He he led us with 13 contested possessions of the game, but we also had Zach Merritt, Ben Hobbs, Jai Caldwell, who you mentioned, along with Peter Wright and, and Matt Golfie, who had 11 contested possessions of the game. And then Archie Perkins, Brandon Zerk Thatcher and Sam Durham had 10. So that's nine players with... 10 or more contested possessions. Nick Martin was next on nine. So, you know, half of our starting 22 or just about half of our starting 22 had nine or more. 
So we've had, uh, you know, twice we've had five players in a game this year have 10 contested possessions or more, but no club this season has had nine. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real credit to to not, you know, just Darcy Parrish and Zach Merritt as leaders, but all, uh, all of those guys who who got the job done in that regard too. Let's um, have a look at the second point. So scores from forward half turnovers. We, you know, we were really keen on that. We, we beat Adelaide's average of 30 conceded. So across the, Across this season, going into the game, Adelaide had conceded only conceded thirty points per game uh, from from forward half turnovers or, or or turning the ball over in their back half. So we scored seven goals, five for the match, a total of forty seven points generated from that source, and and that's the most that the Crows have conceded all year, and the most that we have scored from that source all year. So yeah, that that really aligns with a bit of a shift that we've seen since the North Melbourne game, where we have looked to get that press up higher um, and, and control more territory in the forward half. So up until uh, the North Melbourne game or, or prior to that North game, we we're averaging 22 points a game from forward half turnovers. So, uh, you know, where we've won the ball back in the opposition in, in the front half of our ground. And and since the North game, North game included, that's increased to 34 points a game. So uh, it was, you know, we were relying heavily on, on our defenders getting back and, and intercepting back there and then taking the ball from one length of the ground to the other. And that's still been a, a key feature of our game. But we've now added some greater ability to to take the ball off our opponent, uh, you know, in the forward half of the ground and score. So, um, yeah, that, that's a real big positive. And, and to to have a game high or, sorry, a season high against a team like the Crows who have been going really well, I think is a, a big, uh, you know, a big tick for the way that we're playing and a big tick to the coaching staff for being able to adjust the way we're playing in the middle of the season. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a hard one to get a gauge on TV, um, but... I think that's 18 players buying in, which I think we've seen this year. It's a team effort. It's not left to, you know, our forwards creating pressure and tackling. It's, you know, our high half backs, our wings setting up behind the ball. You know, Nick Martin, Sam Durham's, for example. Obviously, it's a, yeah, it's a team effort to, to be so high in this area. Um, and it's a, a massive one to play the game in your forward half. It gives your defenders a break. It gives every, you know, midfielders, your rucks can sit up. You know, we can play the game on our terms. Everyone gets a little bit of a break behind the ball too. So, um, yeah, it's very encouraging to see these numbers. Uh, obviously, I'm not sure what we were ranked last year, but I think this has been a massive improvement. Yeah, it certainly has. And, and you know, Darcy Parrish led the way for inside 50s with nine and, and Zach Merritt was next with seven. But we had some defenders chipping in as well. Mason Redmond had four inside 50s. Andrew McGrath had four as well. Uh, so, you know, to have a couple of defenders getting the ball inside 50, I think talks a lot to our ability to win it back higher up the ground. Uh, the, the next bit that we were uh, not so much concerned about, but but really making sure that we broke even and got right was in the ruck. So, uh, you know, we, without Draper, we've been relying on Andrew Phillips to, to really provide us a contest there. We lost the hitouts. Um, O'Brien's the number one hitout player in the AFL, so we we anticipated that would be the case. Uh, we went down forty six to thirty three in the hitouts, but clearances were pretty even at forty to thirty nine. We had a slight advantage in the centre clearance, and the Crows had a slight advantage in stoppages. Uh, but I think 
you know, what was uh, really pleasing to see was the stoppage clearance numbers were indicative that we really got to play the game on our terms. We, we spoke last week about how Adelaide have the highest number of stoppages this season, whereas we have the least and, and the total number of stoppages for the game is 45. And, um, you know, that that's a lot closer to our average than it is to the Crows. It's the lowest number of stoppages the Crows have had since round two. So we did, really didn't allow the Crows to create though that, you know, second and third stoppage. We we didn't allow them to lock down the game and, and get it on our terms. Even in the second half where they did get a bit more of the ball, uh, I think Andrew Phillips did a really good job just to give us a, a contest at, and arguably gave us one too many contests test too many uh, right at the end there where he um, uh, he copped a suspension but uh, yeah I think I think his last fortnight is, has been really positive for us given we've been playing without Sam Draper how did you see that one yeah, it's an interesting stat isn't it you know hit outs and hit outs to advantage um, and then uh, clearance numbers being so even but you know you you watch the, the Fremantle game on the weekend where you know uh, Darcy was just so dominant but Carlton's clearance numbers were just sky high so I think if you can, you know, break even with, you know, numbers like that, then it's a massive win. You just got to back your mids into, you know, I suppose, get the job done, don't you? You know, and I think, as we spoke about earlier, having that, um, not having that dependency on, you know, the two guys in Parish and, and Merritt and uh, spreading the load with your Perkinses, your Corvals, et cetera, through there, your Martin, et cetera, um, I think it just allows those numbers to be, even with not winning it out, that's really the way I see it. Yeah, I think what's becoming as important, if not more important, than I think the hit out. If you've got a really crafty yeah. ruckman who can who can give um, silver service, I think it, it can add a couple of goals a game, particularly from centre clearances where you know you've got even numbers and, and six six six. But I think it's what they do after that, isn't it? And you know, a team like Essendon is really reliant on our ruckman getting their hands dirty at ground level and um, and adding some size around the stoppage. And uh, and I think Phillips has done that really, really well. And, you know, that, that will be handed over to Nick Bryan to try and replicate that this week. I, I think more generally, uh, it was probably the most pleasing Essendon game I've seen in a couple of years now. And, and you know, up there with the Melbourne game, I think in terms of our ability to, to put pressure on it and win the ball back, um, and, and particularly with it back in the forward half. I think that first half, it was high scoring, but we we did put the brakes on the Crows after the first sort of 10 or 15 minutes and and slowed them down a lot and, and were still able to score ourselves. So I thought that side of it was a real positive and, and, and a real big tick for, you know, our preferred game style. But what I also liked was in the third quarter where we couldn't get our hands on the footy quite as much and, um, and, and couldn't, you know, quite get the score on the scoreboard. The Crows put Dawson behind the ball. So they took him out of the midfield and we started in the centre bounce and then went and played as a loose in defence. So we really put it on the Crows coaching staff to to try and change up the game. And and then we just held tight. We we ended up winning the quarter by a point or two despite them having all of those inside 50s. And, and, and I thought our back line held up really, really well. Uh, so yeah, very different looking. You know, I know there's some concern that the Crows came back late, but... You know, a couple of junk time goals. Ridley had gone down by that stage, so we had to adjust a little bit. And, um, you know, one of those, I think, was from a 50-metre penalty. So I don't think there's anything to to really worry about. I, yeah, I walked away from that game really excited that, as you said, really even contribution with, with lots of really good players. Our skipper really stood up for us and, and we played a game that was, uh, you know, 
a high skill, but one on on effort, contest, and pressure. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just having a look at some stats now. We had 100 more disposals, and then when it's 74 percent, and when a 55 percent scores inside 50, so 32 shots from 58 entries, which is a pretty remarkable number. And as I think we spoke about during the game, you know, we're not relying on you know Jake Stringer to kick four or five for us, um, even spread even down forward. Um, not just, you know, through the midfield, even spread across the field. I think 74% at, you know, 425 disposals is is a pretty good number. Um, I don't reckon we've seen those numbers from Nesson team for a long time. No, I think you're right. And, uh, you know, the Crows are one of the better sides in the comp going inside 50. They across the season they score at 54 uh, sorry yeah 54 percent of the time and we were able to reduce that down to 43 percent and and you know like you said we scored 55 percent of the time we went in and that was really the difference in the game we, we made uh, you know they they converted well when they did get a shot uh, you know 15 7 they were pretty accurate we weren't quite as accurate but um we certainly made the most of of turning our inside fifties into scoring opportunities compared to what they did so yeah lot, lots to really like about that game we'll that one's sort of in the in the rear vision mirror now, and and we've got a big week this week. But before we do, I, I guess the big news of the week is, um, is that Zach Merritt will line up for game number two hundred this week. He, he was drafted with pick number twenty six in the twenty thirteen draft, and and that's the pick that I like to say we got for trading not just Stuart Cramery but also yourself to the Western Bulldogs. Uh, Zach's gone on to win three best and fairest to date, which puts him alongside Joe Watson, Graham Moss, Tom Fitzmaurice, Barry Davis, Wally Buttsworth, and John Bird, who are all legends of our football club. And it's hard to imagine that he won't win a fourth at the end of this season to take him level with Simon Madden and Tim Watson, you know, behind only James Herb with five and Bill Hutchison and Dick Reynolds with seven. So, he, you know, he's putting his name up uh, alongside the absolute best of the best of the Essendon Football Club. And I think for, you know, a skinny young kid from Cobden, almost three hours out of Melbourne to to go on and captain the club, uh, you know, help us out of, uh, you know, through some pretty tough time, tough times. And, you know, I feel like his real legacy at the Essendon Football Club is ahead of him. I, I don't think we've seen it yet. I think he's got some unfinished business and I think he's going to, um, you know, not leave a stone unturned before we get there. Uh, uh, yeah. What, what are your thoughts of, of Zach Merritt, the player? And I guess what have you seen of him as a leader this year that, that's um, stood out to you. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. I remember, you know, back to that trade period, um, the dogs obviously very keen on Stewie and getting him over as a, you know, that power forward, um, working hard, up and down, up and back. Um, originally asking to pick four, which I thought was a bit high, which ended up being Bond and Pelly. So you think back now, if, you know, Stewie doesn't go to the dogs, the dogs then potentially end up with Bond and Pelly and Zach Merritt. Just what they need another gun midfielder in their in their midfield, um, but yeah, I, I think the trade at the end of the day, if Stewie didn't miss those you know, that year with from the supplement saga, you know, it could have been a different story. Not saying he's going to be a multi best and fairest winner, but you know, he's a leading goal kicker at the Dogs, and I think just that that time of you know missing the season just yeah didn't really work out. Come back and his body just wasn't right. But in terms of Zach Merritt, you know, as a, as a captain, as a leader, you can't ask for any more. Leads, leads by, leads from the front. You know, he, it's not just his, you know, his kicking and his his ability just to tackle and he's ruthless. Hates losing. Um, it's pretty impressive. So, um, you know, two hundred games a massive effort for anyone. But you know, the way he's leading the club is 
pretty special to watch, to be honest. So, um, yeah, let's hope they can get over the line for them this weekend. Yeah, that, that would be nice. So I actually remember in his first two seasons, his grandparents had reserved seats right in front of us at the MCG. So it was kind of nice to to watch them enjoy their, well, at the time, two grandkids playing for, for Essendon. So, um, yeah, I, I, like you, I hope we do get up. And uh, I went back and did some research. We're five and five when Essendon captains play their 200th game. So let's hope we can uh, take that to six and five against the Cats this week. Well, speaking the of the Cats, uh Dyson Dyson last year up in Sydney when we got um yeah. we got pantsed in round Smashed. 10 and then Joe before that uh, we lost as well so uh yeah okay. we, we've lost the last couple but we had a good run before then Hurdy um we won his against the Tigers and uh yeah I can't remember exactly who the couple before that were but um but yeah it's uh yeah, it's always nice to win those milestone games, and I feel like we've done a better job of that this year. So hopefully we've got one more, um, yeah, that we can tick off this week. Um, let's have a quick look back at the last time we played the Cats in round seven of this season. Essendon 16-8-104, lost to Geelong 20-12-132. Geelong really broke the game open with the first six goals of the game, and, and Essendon responded well after that. I think, you know, you take those six goals out, which you don't get the benefit of doing, but we we were able to to outscore them after that run. And, and we did get the margin back to 20 points uh, at one stage there. And, and Geelong ultimately ran out 28-point winners. Uh, Geelong really preyed on Essendon turnovers, kicking five goals, three from turnovers generated in their forward 50. So, yeah, we, we coughed the ball up a number of times and, and made it really easy for them. And then they were plus 12 from stoppage um, stoppages and turn that into scores, kicking eight goals, five to three goals from from stoppages. So they just really beat us up around the ball and, and put pressure on us and, and we coughed it up. Uh, Dangerfield set the tone, uh, winning three first quarter centre clearances to end with 28 touches and 10 clearances for the game. Tom Hawkins kicked four goals in that first quarter and finished with eight. Uh, meanwhile, Jake Stringer played probably his best game for the club and, and probably his best game of his career. I think he he won 11 clearances, uh, had 26 disposals and kicked four goals. And, and Sam Wiedemann had a career best uh, kicking five goals. I walked away from that game feeling really weird about it. I, I, I was obviously frustrated by what happened at the start. You know, we knew Geelong were going to come out um, and, and, play really aggressive contested footy. I was relieved that we pegged it back. I was frustrated we got into 20 points and got within 20 points and, and had the momentum and then made a couple of really silly mistakes in our back half and and gave Geelong the momentum back. And, and then I was also sort of in awe of Dangerfield, Hawkins, Cameron, and also Jake Stringer and, and how they played and, and probably got a little bit of a reality check of, of just how much work we still have to do. Uh, what do you remember of that one? I remember it was off a five-day break from Anzac Day, so you can kind of read into that what you think also. I'm not sure who the Cats played the week before, but, yeah, obviously, you know, Hawkins and, you know, Cameron, you know, pretty pretty awesome combination up forward and any back line is, is going to struggle to defend them on their day and, and Dangerfield, you know, at his best. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's a couple other guys that, you know, I think Max Holmes is is one that kind of goes under the radar a little bit. He's a big metres game player. Yeah, just on the 400 that game. And um, I think, yeah, he, he's one that can kind of fly under the radar because of the danger fields and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I think from that game, 
I just think that five-day break, you know, off Anzac Day, that was a hard-fought game. I think we had a few sore boys. But, yeah, obviously I reckon, yeah, as, a, as you said, probably Stringer's one of Stringer's best games for the year. Yeah, the Cats played on the Saturday, so they had an eight-day break. They played the yeah. Swans, and, and that was that game where the Swans only kicked five goals and um, the Cats won by... Uh, it was almost 100 points, 93 points down at Cadinia Park. So, you know, they they had a really soft win, eight-day break into us having a, that tough loss on Anzac Day and, and a five-day break. So, yeah, no doubt it, it would have had some level of difference and, and we get them on a, you know, both teams on a six-day break this week. So, yeah, well, let's have a look at the Cats since then um, and, and since that win against Essendon. Geelong sat seventh on the ladder at, at that point in time, having won their last four games. Or, you know, we were the fourth in that run. In their 10 games since then, they've gone four wins, four losses and a draw. Uh, and their percentage has dropped from 135% to 117%. Uh, they obviously had a buy in, in there as well, uh, like we did. So, yeah, their wins have come against Adelaide, the Bulldogs, Melbourne and North Melbourne and their losses against Richmond, Fremantle and the Giants and Port Adelaide. That Giants loss was actually at Cardinia Park whilst the draw was a a pretty awful game of footy uh, two weeks ago against the Swans up in Sydney. And so there's been a real fluctuation there in terms of opponents who they've won and lost again. You know, it hasn't been a pattern. You know, they haven't necessarily just won against poorer teams and and lost to to good teams or vice versa. There's been a real mixed bag of results. Uh, one area that they've really slipped since their premiership year is defending scores inside 50. Last year, they only conceded a score 44% of the time. Their opponents went inside 50, which was the fourth best in the AFL. This year, they're going at 51%, which is the third worst. So, you know, uh, that that does give us an opportunity that if we can get enough ball inside our 50, we're, we're going to get some opportunities to score. But that said, what they are good at is limiting inside 50. So they only average... 48 a game against them. So, and that's the second lowest in the in the AFL, um, albeit slightly higher than last year. Essendon's the second best at, at scoring when going inside 50 in the comp. So, you know, that uh, that's a real challenge for us this week that if we can, as I said, get enough supply that, that we might be able to kick a winning score. One of the reasons that Geelong has been able to restrict opposition inside 50s is because of their ability to win the centre clearance. They're ranked fourth in terms of centre clearance differential. And they also have positive differentials for contested possessions and intercepts. And and one thing that has remained consistent between this year and last year has been their ability to take marks inside 50. When you've got two of the the best power forwards in the competition, you're going to do that. And and in both seasons, they've averaged 14.9 a game. Uh, And that was ranked first last year and and second this year. Brisbane have, um, have gone ahead of them. Despite their troubles, they're still scoring at a really high rate. They're fourth for total points scored. And um and despite being you know up and down in form, they're, they're hitting the scoreboard on a regular basis. Uh, Tom Hawkins is fourth in the Coleman. Jeremy Cameron, despite missing some footy, is fifth. And then Grime Myers as uh, leads the AFL for goal assists. And and then they've got uh you know and those three are, are inside the top twenty for average score involvements. And then they've got Dangerfield, who you know when he's been fit and playing, he's he's been playing really good footy, averaging. Uh, or third in the AFL for average centre clearances and, and Blitzars is 20th. So I think there's some of their, their real keys there. Um, how much have you seen of the Cats this year and, and what have you made of their sort of up and down form? Yeah, I watched, uh, I watched most of the game last week, actually. Um, obviously, no Cameron. Cameron's back in this week. But yeah, Myers is, a, is an interesting one. He's he obviously had a high disposal game last week, um, which... 
which was yeah, 30, just selling was 32 disposals. Um, but it was interesting. A lot of them, he had 12 back of center. So he does get up quite high and then gets back. Uh, and he's obviously, and he's ranked as a forward. He's ranked elite in disposals, kicks, scoring involvements, and meters gained as a, just purely from a position point of view. So he's, I suppose, one that you've got to keep an eye on. He's, you know, those dinky little kicks around the corner. It's not, I suppose, textbook, but it's effective. It works. And I think his forwards know where he's going to kick it. So I think, uh, I think, um, guarding space is really key this week, especially with the two big fellas back in. Um, and then the other one is, yeah, Max Holmes. I highly rate Max Holmes. I, he reminds me so much of James Kelly. Um, uh, we know James Kelly is such a good footballer. We just missed out on drafting him. Um, but he's at his best. You know, he had 500 metres game last week, 26 disposals, four score involvements. He's that one that's got that little bit of class. He can turn it over a little bit, but um, he can get you on the outside. And if he gets you on the outside, he can do some damage and he can hit the scoreboard. So he's he's probably one I'd you know be watching for this week. Yeah, they're obviously coming off a you know a relatively soft game against North Melbourne last week. You just referenced that they not too dissimilar in some ways to to the game against us earlier in the year. They had an, the Cats had an eight goal to two first quarter and and you know set up a pretty comfortable win from there. They they were able to kick away a little bit more and and win by sixty two points. Um, uh, you know, at the you know half-built stadium in Geelong, um, you know, they were, and they were pretty dominant. You know, if you look at the key stats, thirty-one uh, or plus thirty-one for inside fifties, plus sixteen for center clearances, plus twelve in marks inside fifty, and plus thirteen for tackles. Uh, you know, you mentioned some of their star players. Um, Myers continue that Boulogne Dior form with thirty-two disposals and, and two goal assists. Um, shout out to Jared Waitley if he's listening. Uh, Stengel kick five, Henry kick four. He, you know, he's a player that just pops up at odd times, doesn't he? he um, uh, and the type that that can worry us at times. And then Hawkins and Close kick three a place, and and Tom Atkins, uh, who you've also touched on here, twenty five disposals, fourteen tackles, and seven clearances. So you know, it was, it was a game where some of their stars were really able to get on top. Um, uh, any other takeaways from that game? Yeah, the other one's probably Mitch Duncan. Um, obviously, we know. He's he, he can kill you by foot. Um, you know, he went at 90 last week, he had 30 disposals. But the interesting one with him, he's been used more half back this year, but he actually had 22 of his 30 disposals forward to centre and hit the scoreboard, um, eight score involvement. So that's going to be an interesting one to see where they play him, whether he plays wing, half back, half forward, or, you know, a combination of all three throughout the game. Um, so it's probably one to keep an eye on because. He's the kind of guy that they want the ball in his hand. And with no Zach Tui this week too, it's kind of, you know, does he just play at half-back, set him up um, a little bit off half-back and maybe pushes forward a little bit. But he's, I suppose he's a little bit like our Mason Redmond. He's the one that can push forward, hit the scoreboard. So he's probably one we've got to keep it, an eye on this week. I know, you, I know you're not a massive fan, but he had 144 ranking points, which is pretty elite. I know they don't win your games of footy, but... Um, yeah, that 144 is a pretty big number. So, uh, as I said earlier, yeah, going at 90% last week was uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, no, I'm certainly not a fan of ranking points, but I am a fan of, of Mitch Duncan. I do think he's a player, though, that uh, isn't as defensively minded as some of their other players, and, and he can be 
Um, he can be exposed the other way. But but let's have a look at selection. So uh, just the one change or, or the one in for us at the moment. So Nick Bryan comes in for Andrew Phillips, who's suspended, and, and Dylan Shield, who was sub last week, is um, out injured uh is the is the report no no word on what that injury is but uh the emergencies are nick cox nick hind alwyn davy jr and patrick voss i think for the first time named as emergency this season which maybe is a sign that uh that you know he's getting closer and closer to his first game i did have a, a a look back at that round seven side, there's quite a number of changes. You know, I think if we remember back and you touched on the short break from Anzac Day, we did, you know, manage a couple and and rotate a few through. But of that team that played in round seven, there's no Dylan Shield, Nick Hind, Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody, Will Setterfield, Sam Draper, Andrew Phillips and Massimo D'Ambrosio. They all come out of the 22. Will Snelling was sub that day, so he he comes in. We've regained Jaden Laverde and Peter Wright, so and Matt Golfie, who are all out injured at the time. So you know those three undoubtedly make us a better team. Uh, Nick Bryan, uh, you know, obviously Draper will be a big loss. Uh, Dyson Hepper was rested for that game. Jai Menzi was also managed from memory, so they come back in and take their spots. So uh, yeah, quite a number of changes there from from seven or round seven this season. You'd imagine Nick Cox is the cover for Ridley if he doesn't come up. Um, and, yeah, like I said, good to see Voss edging closer. But I'd, I'd have to think that unless there's a late change, uh, one of Hind or Davey would be the sub. How do you see it? Yeah, so it's interesting. The, the, the players that have probably didn't play last time probably give us a greater balance. You know, Laverde, Wright, Guelph, and then having Dyson's experience. And I think John Menz has been massive this year. Um, the roles that he plays, his hardness and his tackling, um, in the, especially in the forward 50. Uh, yeah, interesting. I'd, I would have liked Nick Cox there to go. I suppose it hurts with the BFL not playing last week too. I just thought potentially he might be that one that might be able to drop off or even allow Ridley to drop off in front of the two big forwards. But as we've seen this year, we're, we're pretty good at making that late change. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. I wouldn't mind now when David getting another run. I think on a big ground. He might be actually quite useful. He might be able to break those lines a little bit too. Or obviously Nick Hines got speed too. But I think Owen Davy, the big ground, um, he might be able to expose, you know, the Nick the, the Mitch Duncans and the and the like. But um, yeah, I'm not really sure what they'll do to be honest. But you you would think it would be Hine or Davy would be the sub. Just gives you flexibility, forward wing, back. Yeah, they're they're not blessed with Genuine small defenders, the Cats, uh, particularly with Buse out at the moment, and and they're also not blessed with a lot of speed. So you would think that Hind or, or Davey would would be the sub, given that they add, you know, the the ability to really cut the lines, as you said, and, and introduce some speed into the game. Well, let's have a look at the Cats. So they've made three changes and three pretty handy ins. Isaac Smith, Jake Collajasny, and Jeremy Cameron come into the team. Uh, Asava Radigalia is out managed. Mullen is omitted. And and I did skip his first name on purpose. Uh, Oliver Dempsey, who was their sub last week, makes way. And then they've also rested or managed Zach Tui. Interestingly enough, though, Radigalia and Tui are uh, named as emergencies. So could well see one of them as a sub um, along with Mullen and Dempsey. So they're four outs so are all uh, listed as emergencies. 
from the last time out, uh, Mitch Nevitt, Jed Buse, and Sam Simpson make way. Sam Simpson was really good in that game, kicked a couple of goals. Um, Jack Henry, Reese Stanley, and Tyson Stengel come in. So, you know, arguably they're a little bit closer. Um, I, I'd imagine unless he's got an injury or or a niggle that they really want to rest up for, that they'd, they'd probably have two years sub. Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, three key ins from Colin Jasmine gives him that solid down defender, doesn't he? Just locked down. You know, Cameron, obviously, we know he's class class player, one of the best in the comp. And Isaac Smith gives him that flexibility, midfield, forward, wing, even half back. Uh, yeah, seeds to his manage normally means either sub or they're going to be a late in. So, yeah, you'd think that's, how, that's the way they'll go. Um, and obviously, they've got Jack Henry, who's a Good young forward in from last time, Stanley, and then Tyson Stengel, we know, can can do some damage if you give him a little bit of room. So that's probably a key one for this week. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I know they're three big ins, but I, I always worry from a Nesseton perspective when, when you bring three players back from injury. I mean, granted, Isaac Smith has only missed the week, but um, Colin Jasney's been out. Um, sort of in and out a couple of times this year now. So, uh, you know, again, he's only missed the one week this time around. But um, but Jeremy Cameron's missed a little bit of footy now, hasn't he? So, uh, you know, hopefully they're a little bit underdone and, and it plays to our advantage. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Uh, well, on to this week. I, I think it's it's pretty clear that this is going to be a game that's won in a few key areas. The, the Cats are plus two at centre clearances and plus 2.25 at stoppage clearances when they win. And then in games they lose, they break even in the centre and, and they lose stoppages by 5.6. They're plus 5.6 in contested ball when they win and they're minus 5.7 in contested ball when they lose. And then on the outside, they're plus 5.3 in uncontested ball and plus 17 for marks when they win and minus 26 for uncontested marks and minus 13.5 for, for sorry, for uncontested possessions, I should say, and minus 13.5 for marks when they lose. So, uh, you know, their, their contested ball game really allows them to set up their uncontested game and 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 move the ball forward and, and take territory. Uh, but teams that have been able to break even at the contest and then basically keep the ball off them have been able to beat them. Five times teams have taken 100-plus marks against the Cats this season. They've lost four of those five. And, and arguably the Bulldogs, who were the other one in that five, should have beaten them. They kicked 10-15 for the game and had three more scoring shots but weren't able to get the job done. The dimensions of Cadinia Park make that more difficult. The Swans were still able to take 92 marks against the Cats up at the SCG, though, in, in a, on a smaller ground in, in that draw two weeks ago. So, uh, you know, it, it's certainly not impossible. Um, how, how do you think we approach it this week, given the dimensions? Control possession has been such a big part of our game. And, and even last week, uh, and uh, despite sort of playing on and playing some faster football at, at times, we still amassed 107 marks against the Crows. So how do you think we approach it with the, the lack of width at Cadinia Park? And, uh, you know, do, do you think we change up our game style? Uh, we, we didn't play Geelong at Geelong in, in our time working at Essendon, but I assume you would have played down there a few times in your time at the Bulldogs. How how did you approach it? Did did you did you train for it? Did you make some adjust, adjustments to the way you were playing or was it just business as usual? It's an interesting ground. Um, I had a great experience from last time I was there. The game nearly got called off because it was a, the ground got flooded, but it was, uh, yeah, dried out within 10 minutes. But um, 
I suppose the time the dogs, we had so many people from Geelong. I think we had three or four in our coaching staff. So in terms of how to play the ground, couldn't really train it because the ground is so different. But in terms of how you plan, et cetera, and, you know, how you, you want to play for the week, it, it does change a little bit. But I also think you've got to back yourself in. I think even Essendon in back in the day, we always had a good record at Subiaco, completely different ground to, you know, uh, MCG, Marvel Stadium, et cetera. I think you've still got to play to your strengths. And I think if we can play the way we played last week, you know, it doesn't matter where we play. It's kind of you got to win anywhere. Um, and I think if we can use our kicking, use our kick mark game, plus play on and try and beat them over the back, because as we mentioned earlier, they're not haven't got a lot of leg speed in their defence. So I think if we can get up and then get back um, and kind of beat them back to goal, I think that's probably a massive advantage for us this week. I think the guys like like Nick Martin, Sam Durham, are going to be highly important this week for us, um, our wings. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the way I kind of see it a little bit this week. But I suppose like every game, win the ball at the contest, it takes care of itself at the end of the day. So, yeah, crack in and, you know, that even spread again, just not relying on a few too many, just even spread and hopefully that takes care of itself. And I think also hitting the scoreboard early is a massive thing with, you know, their crowd down there. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. And I think we've done that really well the last couple of weeks with Peter Wright and, and Sam Wiedemann getting up the ground and just giving us a contest. And and I think what that does is it gives us the best of both worlds. It allows us to, to you know, if, if Geelong do put some real pressure on us and, and, and close down our outlet kicks or our, our short passes, then we have those targets up the ground that we can go to and, and bring the ball to ground and create another contest. And and you're right, if the ball gets over the back, then I think that's where we can be really dangerous. And and we've seen that, you know, players like Cole Langford and Jake Stringer don't need a lot of space. Um, uh, you know, they can do a lot with a little bit. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm I with you. I, I think we, we really need to just back in what we've been doing despite the dimensions. The ground is a bit longer than the, you know, the MCG and Marvel. It's obviously a lot narrower, but it is a bit longer. So we will find some extra space through the corridor, which will work to our advantage. And and I think it will also help us to shut them down um, and, and be able to lock the ball in our forward half when we get the opportunity. So I, I don't think it's something that Brad Scott and, and the playing group will fear. In fact, I think they'll be really looking forward to it. Well, let's assume we're able to break even at the contest and we can get the game on our terms for for enough of the game. Let, let's look at some of the key matchups. I'm going to start with the obvious one. He tore us apart last time in Paddy Dangerfield. He ranks second in the AFL for goal assists per game, 12th for clearances and third for centre clearances, seventh for inside 50s. So they're pretty, um, yeah, pretty impressive numbers for a guy who, you know, I, I think it's uh, arguably in the twilight, well, not arguably, he's most definitely in the twilight of his career. But I think his footy early in this season was as good as he's as he's played at any point in his career. What do we do here? We we sort of went Stringer head to head last time, and he had a career best game as we spoke about, but we still weren't able to get the chocolates. Do we look to restrict him a little bit more? Do we use Archie Perkins like we did on Crips against the Blues and at Dawson, at Jordan Dawson at times last week, or or do we do something else altogether? Yeah, I don't mind the, the Perkins idea because I think Perkins got speed too. He's got that burst away speed that could potentially hurt the other way. The other one I was potentially we could look at would be Cordwell. I know well, I know they're completely different players, but you know, he did the job last year on Neil and beat him the other way and hit the scoreboard. I don't think Dangerfield pays a hell of a lot of attention to his opponent. So 
I, I don't mind the idea of Caldwell because Caldwell likes to get his hands dirty. He's hard and tough. He's inside. And then it allows Perkins, you know, just to play as a mid, Parrish, Merritt, et cetera. So, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't mind looking at Caldwell. I know he hasn't got the height. He's obviously not as tall as Perkins, but um, I, I don't think Stringer is the right matchup because I, I do like Stringer more forward to centre. Um, I think he's more dangerous for us when he's playing inside 50 with little spurts on the ball. But I think Stringer plays his best footy. I always think he plays his best footy 0-30 to 30 really because he's such a hard matchup. And it also might engage Stewart a little bit more too if he's down there. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on on Tom Stewart in a sec because he's obviously one of the other keys. But um, let's have a look at a couple of their forwards. Uh, we spoke about, or you spoke about Myers and Stengel earlier and the impact they're having. Myers, as you, as we spoke about, is first in the AFL for goal assists and ninth for total score involvement. So, you know, he's, he's not kicking a lot of goals, but he gets up the ground and he's a real key part of, of setting up their play. Stengel hasn't quite had the impact he did last year, but he's still kicked 17 goals in his 12 games. I think McGrath and Kelly seem the logical matchups. And there's a couple of ways that we can that we can go here. Uh, we can either, you know, lock down on both and just go man-to-man with, with those two, um, or we can play a bit more structure and, and, you know, McGrath takes the one closest to goal. Kelly uh, typically is the one that gets further up the ground and follows an opponent. And then I guess the other option is you roll the dice and keep your structure of your back six behind the ball and, and just allow Myers to get up the ground, knowing that he's going to hurt you, but you're giving yourself extra protection, um, uh, you know, around, um, you know, Hawkins and Cameron. How, how do you see that one playing out? Or, or if you had the, the the whiteboard and were moving the magnets this week, how would you go about it? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because they're both quite dangerous in their own right. So Myers doesn't hit the scoreboard. Stengel is obviously quite dangerous. Myers is more that goal assist, um, score involvement type player inside 50, that last inside 50 kick. Um, I wouldn't mind McGrath, um, not McGrath, sorry, Heppel on, on Myers. I just think he might be able to just... Just, just, just do the job for us. Um, and I think McGrath might be better suited to like a Brendan Close, maybe. Um, and then, yeah, we have Kelly, Kelly on Stengel, or you know, even Redman. Redman's the other one who who we look at maybe if you play Redman on on Stengel, and then you can play through through Redman a little bit coming out because I know Stengel doesn't like the chase, but yeah, it's such a hard one because they're just they're just such different players, but they can be so dangerous. Yeah, the the Heppel to to Myers is a really interesting one, and and it's one that I was thinking of giving some thought to earlier this week. What Dyson does really well is he reads the game, and yeah. uh, and you know he won't necessarily get up the ground and, and play hard on on Myers, but he doesn't have a lot of penetration in his kicking, does he? He's very good at, at hitting angles, but he's not really going to move the ball quickly. So it does allow us to to get up and set up uh, and, and allow Dyson to be part of, of, of that and, and protect our other defenders or help out our other defenders. So it, it could really work in our advantage. That The one gamble in that, though, is, is Dyson's speed um, when Myers does get inside 50. So we'd have to, to really watch on, on that one. But, yeah, it's a... It's a really interesting one as to whether you roll the dice and, and let him just get up the ground and, and do that or you or you expose yourself by opening up their forward line and, and following them. 
I'm leaning towards just keeping our back six in, in structure and and taking the plus one and 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 let him get up the ball and, and get some footy and and you know hopefully we can get some forwards coming up the ground and, and applying pressure as well. You know the likes of Snelling and Guelphie then have a really important role to make sure that Myers just isn't running rampant on his own through the the middle of the ground. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And it, yeah, I suppose hard to get a gauge on last week's game. He got so much ball back of centre, but, um, you know, he was playing against, you know, obviously the Kangaroos and we know they're struggling. So let's hope there's a bit more pressure around the ball this week um, and he's not being able to do as he likes. And, you know, as we said, we can keep our back six intact. And, you know, if Dyson is the one, then we know Dyson can get back and help and support too. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting watch. Yeah, and and on that back six, who have you got for Hawkins and Cameron? Um, are you going again matchup, or are you going you know structure? Laverde takes the deepest, Zerk Thatcher takes the higher of the two. Yeah, I think Laverde's got to go Hawkins, and I and I'm thinking you know um, Zerk Thatcher's got to go Cameron, and hopefully Ridley plays fingers crossed, and Ridley can you know can do his thing. You can drop off support both of them along with Fredman. Um, I just think Laverde is probably more suited closer to goal. He's probably a little bit better one-on-one. He's got a little bit more experience and a bit more of a mature body. Um, and Zerk's actually can, you know, Cameron's going to be a little, little underdone too. So that's going to be an interesting one, whether he plays closer to goal and Hawkins goes up too. So that's going to be a wait and see. Um, Cameron's obviously a phenomenal athlete too. Um, so, you know, even... Really, potentially might get a job on him when he gets up the ground. So Thatcher can drop back. Um, and then the other one is 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 Ollie Henry. He's a I know he's only young, he's only I think his third year in the system, but he's got some talent. Um, he reads the ball well, he leads well, and he's, he's a beautiful kick of the footy. So he only needs three or four opportunities to you know to, to hit the scoreboard, and he really hurts you. So he's the one that you got to kind of watch because he's the one that you can kind of get get away because you put all your efforts into the Hawkins and Cameron matchups. Yeah, I I'd do something a little bit different actually. I, I agree with Laverde on Hawkins and and playing closer to goal. I think that that's the matchup that suits us best. But I'd actually send Zerk Thatcher to Ollie Henry uh, for the reasons that you mentioned he can break a game open and be really dangerous in the air as well as on the ground. Uh, level it also allows Zerk to to stay deeper and a bit closer to goal and and help out Hawkins as well. I I like Redmond for Cameron. I, I think if Cameron does get up the ground, that really suits Redmond. It gets Redmond closer to our goal. So if we are able to intercept, he can be really dangerous. Um, Jeremy Cameron is a player that will will pressure and and chase and and defend as well. So he's not someone that that we can just run off willy nilly and expose. But um, uh, I think it it does help. Uh, yeah, get Mason Redmond close to the action, and it, it does allow then Ridley, if he's fit and he plays, to, uh, to yeah, to to intercept and and help to to sit up that back six. So uh, yeah, I'd, I'd go a little bit differently, but I think you know when Cameron's playing closer to goal, it's obviously going to need Zerk Thatcher to to hand over with Redmond, and and, and Redmond plays that higher role. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one I'm sure Brad Scott has uh, had plenty of late nights this week thinking about. Well, let's have a quick look at the other end of the ground. Uh, Tom Stewart's the obvious one that 
you know, he's the he's the profile of player that that continuously has a good game against Essendon. He's eighth in the AFL for total intercept possessions, sixteen for intercept marks, and he's second at Geelong for score launches. So, you know, when he gets his hands on the footy, he, he typically sends it the other way, and good things happen. So. Um, even without Radigalia playing, they've got plenty of height down there. De Koning, I would expect, goes to Peter Wright. College Asney's 195 centimetres. Jack Henry's 194. So do we think Stuart will go to Wiedemann or, or is it a case of we send someone to Stuart? I, I reckon it could be a bit, potentially a little bit like Anzac Day where maybe uh, we we send Langford to him and, Lank, and then we play through Langford. Because um, you know, as we know, Stuart likes, does like to drop off and and do his kind of kind of his own thing and set set, set play up from from that back fifty and score launches. Um, yeah, I, I reckon Langford could be the perfect matchup for him. And and the other one is obviously Stringer because Stringer just demands attention um, zero to thirty. And I'd love to isolate Stringer zero to thirty if he had that matchup with Stuart. I think he could do some phenomenal things down there, kick goals from the boundary or, you know, whatever it may be that Jake wants to do on the day. But um, for me, it would be Langford because I think he's quite disciplined. He'll play the role, you know, ultimate team man. Or the other one would be Stringer um, just because he's so dangerous. And it, it, you know, Stewart's always got to be, you know, watching his back, watching where he is, kind of can't do his own thing. So I think that for me, they're the two. I just why I like Stringer forward. Um he just demands respect. And I think someone like Tom Stewart that can hurt you going the other way. Um, yeah, that'd be my two. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I get a sense that they'll probably try and manipulate things so Stewart goes to Wiedemann. They'll they'll obviously see Wiedemann for obvious reasons. You know, he hasn't hit the scoreboard recently as, as the weakest link in our forward line and, and probably not pay him all that much attention or, or give him that much respect. So I, I think if that does happen, it's a really good opportunity for Wiedemann to get up the ground. I, I think one thing that he did really well last week was, you know, was pretty much plays a decoy and, and clear space for for Peter Wright and, and Langford. I, I think he did that really well. Stewart won't do that. He he won't follow him if he gets up the ground. So so if Wiedemann does draw that matchup, he's going to have to get to dangerous, more dangerous positions, uh, and and probably more towards the center of the ground. And I think he can be a, a real magnet for us to to get the ball back in the corridor and 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 create a bit of an opportunity there when as we go forward. But if if that doesn't eventuate, then yeah, it's Langford for me for for all of the reasons that you've you've outlined. Well, one. One last one to look at. It's obviously a huge challenge for Nick Bryan coming up against Reese Sandley and Mark Blitzarves this week. What are your expectations on on Nick Bryan and, and how do you think he, he should go about it? Um, it's interesting I'm with Blitzarves. Blitzarves didn't play the last quarter at all last week, so I'm not sure if there's an issue where they'll just rest in him. So um, potentially he doesn't play. But, yeah, Reese Stanley, you know, he's not – the most mature, you know, big-bodied, you know, wits-type Ruckman. So I think O'Brien, if he can just break even, just compete, try and get forward when he can um, and just, you know, give our mids a little bit of a look. I think that's all we can ask from him really, just to compete, play like he's playing in the VFL. I know he's playing against AFL-experienced players, but, you know, as we know, Reece Stanley is not the most dominant Ruckman in the competition. So I think if he just competes... At ground level, in the air, I think that's all we can ask from him, really. And if he can, you know, kind of push forward, 
at the right time. Um, I think that's, you know, as supporters, it's all we can really ask for. Yeah, I think you're right. I actually like his chances in the ruck contest. Reece Stanley wins 41% of his ruck contest, which is ranked 35th in the AFL. Mark Blitzars wins 35%, which is ranked 58th. So they're not dominant hit-out ruckmen. Uh, Nick Bryan, on the flip side, has won 52% of his ruck contest so far this season, which is ranked 8th in the AFL. And obviously, that's a small body of work. He hasn't played many games and hasn't played many minutes, but he is very good at getting his hand on the ball. 41% of his hitouts go to advantage, which is ranked 10th in the AFL. Blitzars is at 27% and Stanley 21%. They're ranked 52nd and 72nd. So they don't get their hands on it a lot. And when they do, it's not typically going to to their midfielders. So, and, you know, by contrast, Sam Wiedemann, you know, who, who's been competing well, uh, you know, as well as we can expect in the ruck, he's hit out to advantage as 31% and, and ranked 31st. So when he gets his hand on the footy, he's actually a better chance of getting it to our mids than Stanley and, and Blitzars are to, to their own mids. So I think Nick Bryan can give our mids a real advantage this week, but, as you said, we're going to need him to really get his hands dirty around the ground and, and on the ground. Um, and, you know, if he can compete, bring the ball to ground when he, he needs to, push forward when he needs to, and then just help to body the Geelong midfielders, then I think, yeah, we give ourselves a real chance of winning the contested ball battle, scoring from clearances, and taking away their big scoring threat, which is is obviously scoring from clearances themselves. Uh, one last one to throw at you. If you're Chris Scott, uh, coaching the Cats this week, who or, or what of Essendon are you worried about? Yeah, good question. I think if you watch last week, you know, our ability to, you know, to score quickly. Um, and our mids were ve- very dominant last week. And uh, as we've obviously mentioned, it wasn't just Perkins. Obviously, it wasn't just Parrish and, and Merritt. It was an even spread. Um, and Sky and the Unsung Heroes, it'll be, I think, Nick Martin, Sam Durham's, and Ben Hobbs is just getting better and better every week. His work in and around the ball for a young player is, is exceptional. Um, you know, Peter Wright forward, you know, I think he could potentially break the game open a little bit. And I think Jake Stringer being Jake Stringer could potentially do, you know, wonderful things down there this week. Um, I think, you know, he was quite in patches last week, but it just shows our even contribution uh, um, across the board. You know, we don't need Jake Stringer to kick five or six every week for us to win. Um, so I, I just I just think he's probably looking at us and I think he's just probably looking at quite an even spread. Um, and we've got the likes of Menzi and you know, even Snelling. They're just role players. They just play their role. And I think that's all we can ask for. Um, and let's just – I think the big worries would even would be our midfield um, and potentially, you know, that bit of speed. Because you look at their midfield, Dangerfield, Atkins, Litzards. They haven't got a lot of Mitch Duncan. Haven't got a lot of genuine speed. I think when we've got the Perkins and the likes in there, we can kind of break the game open a little bit. So let's hope that they get a run on the ball again this week, um, and we just can you know build from last week. We just got to play footy and back ourselves in and have fun. I think that's when we play our best. Yeah, it's a good point. Well. We always finish the show with a final thought uh, and Humey normally writes the question and I've gone rogue and, and written it this week. Uh, so I'm going to put it to you. What do you think a win this week would mean or, or, or could mean for Essendon in season 2023 and beyond? Um, oh, I think it would be a massive boost to go down there 
the ground that probably a lot of the players never played on. Maybe they've played junior footy there, but definitely not AFL footy. I think it gives us that faith in our ability to win anywhere. You know, we've won interstate, one on the road, one against the big teams. We've, we've challenged, you know, Port Adelaide and Collingwood, been in Melbourne, etc. I think it just gives us a world of confidence. Obviously, the reigning premiers with, you know, they've got elite players on every line. Uh, I think it just tells us that we're on the right on, on the right path. Um, we're still very young, very, very young. But um, I think it just gives our players belief that we can win anywhere and against anyone if we play our game. Yeah, I agree. I think it could be, uh, you know, if we were able to win this week and, and beat the Cats on their deck and, and you know, with only a handful of our fans there, for our captain's 200th game, then I think it could really be a, a you know, something that we look back on in years to come and, and say, well, you know, that was was it was maybe the, the turning point where we started to believe that not just are we an improving team, but we're actually a really, really good team and, and capable of beating anywhere, anyone, anytime. So, yeah, I, I fully agree and, and I'm really looking forward to it. Well, uh, that's it from us for this week, Andrew. Thanks for jumping on and joining me at short notice. Uh, all the best to Humey in his recovery. I hope you're back on your feet soon, mate. Uh, any final words from you, Andrew? Um, no, no, nothing at all. Thanks, thanks for having me, guys. Um, good fun. Love talking footy. Um, so, yeah, no, thank you. Let's hope we can have a win this week. Um, it'd be brilliant. And, um, yeah, only upwards from here. And, uh, yeah, great pod with Ben Jolly, Humi, um, one of the nicest people I ever met in footy. Um, absolute ripper. Saw him last year. I haven't seen him for a while, but, you know, um, great story. So, yeah, thank you. No, our pleasure. Uh, yeah, Humi's um, interview with former Don and, and current Williamstown star Ben Jolly is out now on the main feed. So give it a listen if you haven't already. As Andrew said, he's, he's one of the nicest guys in football and, um, and yeah, really worked hard for everything he, he did. So it was great. Great to listen to Humi and Ben have a chat. Thanks also to our new patrons, Simon Cave, Jeremy Burke, Patrick Ryan, Matthew King, Julian Cole. Uh, we really appreciate the sport. For those interested in becoming a Patreon, you can do so via patreon.com forward slash Don the Stat. Thanks also for the reviews and, and the ratings and, and everyone who's subscribed on Apple Podcasts. That that really does help us, um, you know, give us a lot of confidence. And, um, yeah, we take a great deal of joy out of it, particularly like the one from uh, my nephew, William. Uh, that was pretty awesome to see. But yeah, looking forward to getting down to Cadinia Park on Saturday night. Stay safe, everyone, and go Dons.